Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Standing for the reading uh, this morning. Get excited. We get to start a new series in Jonah. All right. So this series is supposed to take us to Christmas-ish. <laughs> so we're going to read out of Jonah chapter 1, uh, the first three verses. If you're using your uh, Bibles in the chair in front of you, it's on page 774. Uh, page 774. It goes like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a shipping going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your people, um, that we are a people uh, birthed by grace um, and marked by grace. And so may we be a people um, of grace um, to this world and to one another. Uh, we need your help in that. Uh, we, we need your spirit. Um, and so thank you, Lord, that you know um, that we need your spirit, and you have given us your spirit um, to, to equip us to do and to be um, who we are called to be um, in, a, in, a, in a way that would show your, your glory and your love in the world. We love you. Praise things in your name. Amen. You be seated. Tarshish. Say that five times fast. Tar- Tarshish. So as John said, uh, we are on page 774, um, and so I, I really appreciate John kind of taking time to, to give you time to find that. Uh, the best thing that you can do, as we say each week, is to just follow along in the Word somehow, uh, whether it's a device. By the way, I preach from a device. <gasps> That's sacrilegious, right? Um, or, uh, or whether it's a physical copy of the Scriptures. Um, if you're using that one in the seat back in front of you, like, like he said, page 774. So last Sunday, um, I told you that in two weeks, we were gonna have a pop quiz. But you all know that's not how pop quizzes works. The pop quiz is today, all right? So we're doing something here. On the end of every row, um, along the windows, and then I think there may be a row here, um, there is a basket with uh, pieces of paper and a pen. Everyone needs one of those who can write. Go for it. We're gonna take we're gonna take five minutes at the beginning of this of this message, and we're gonna do that do something together. All right. Everybody needs one, even the kids. You can have one too. You can draw something. Here we go. Uh, if we run out of pieces of paper or pens, there's a there's a little notepad on that back table where the kids are gathering. Um, with, with, with pens there as well. If you're at home, if you're watching us online, this is for you too. All righty. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you three minutes. 
I'm gonna give you three minutes. And so you can write in code if you need to. That just, and here's the deal. Let me comfort you with something. You don't have to turn this in. This is just for you. Um, I want you to write out um, everything you know or summarize the book of Jonah in, in three minutes. Go for it. You done, Kevin? Man, Kevin's doing like the one word summary, which is good too. (laughs) Fish. While you're doing this, I'll tell tell you a quick story. Um, there, was a, there was a kid that, that asked his dad if he would uh, tell him the story in the Bible about uh, where the man ate the fish. And he told him, that's, uh, that's not the way the story goes. It's a fish who eats the man. So there you go. It's a, it's a fish eating a man, not a man eating fish, okay? Well, it's, it's kind of a man eating fish, isn't it? So it's not a man eating a fish. Have you seen Little Rascals? Uh, a man-eating chicken. They all go to see the man-eating chicken, and it's just a man-eating a chicken, piece of chicken. There you go. It's just a little uh, comedic relief for you. All right, you done? That was about, that was about three minutes. Keep, hang on to that piece of paper, uh, because here's what our objective is, is to study together the book of Jonah and to understand what the book of Jonah is. Is all about. And so when I first opened the book of Jonah um, a couple months back to begin studying for this, this has been something that's been on our minds for for a couple months now. But when I first opened Jonah uh, for the purpose of studying the book, um, one of the very first things that caught my attention and gave me the idea to give a pop quiz was that that all of the the drama happens right out of the gate in chapter one. Um, so you read chapter one, and the drama of the, the story is in chapter one. And so what I mean by that, if you're like, no, it's, it's a much bigger story, well, that's what we're going to get to here in just a little bit. Uh, but what I mean by that is that if you've been in church for, for long enough, or at least have a grasp on kind of the primary thrust um, of the narrative that, that culture gravitates towards in, this, in the story of Jonah, it's likely that chapter one is probably about the extent of the understanding that we have of Jonah. It's just a story. A lot of you have seen the VeggieTales movie. And, and so, you know, like you just remember the big part of it. You remember that, that a, a man gets swallowed by a fish. But as I studied and as I read for myself for the first time ever, not read for myself for the first time ever, as I studied the book uh, for the first time um, in my life, I realized this, that there is something much bigger going on in this story than a tale about a guy being swallowed by a fish. And that's what we're gonna dive into over the next five weeks. And here's the thing, church, we cannot afford to miss the story that this book is telling. 
literally, like literally. Your life and our world depends on us not missing the story that Jonah is trying to tell. And so I think as we study this account, it is important, this is kind of the intro week. I was with a group of pastors this week and one of the things we talked about is like the, the intro week for a series is always kind of the hardest because you don't really know where to start. You just dive in, you give a little bit of background. And so we are gonna give a little bit of background, but we're also going to, to give a little bit of, um, of, of understanding of some of the, the ideas about this book. And so it, I think... Uh, because of, especially because of the culture that we live in, um, that it is important to acknowledge and address the skepticism that this tale faces as a literal historical event. Did you know that there are people who doubt this as a literal historical event? And maybe there's some in here who doubt that too, which we are coming to you and saying, hey, let's walk with you through that. It's okay to wrestle with those things. We wanna walk with you through that and address some of those. And so for many, for even, even us in here, even church people, when you really dig down into it, this is a, a story that's, that's hard to believe. <laughs> to say the least, it's wild, right? It's a, it's a wild story. But for those of, of, of you or, or us who may naturally be a little bit skeptical um, just by nature, um, I think it's significant for us to understand a little bit about the city of Nineveh. Okay, so we're not gonna start with the fish. We're actually gonna start with the city of Nineveh because that's the, the name of the city that this whole thing is kind of based around. Um, and that's the city that God is calling Jonah to go to. And so later, we're gonna get to, to talking a little bit about what characterizes this city, um, what some of the characteristics of this city are. Uh, but for now, let's understand a little bit about the city of Nineveh and history. Um, so if you were going to read the story of Jonah somewhere around before 1845, just around 175 years ago, this is fascinating, around 175 years ago, if you would have read this story at that point in history or before, it wouldn't only be the story of the fish that was hard to believe. Um, for a intellectual people, it would have actually been the story of a geographical city called Nineveh. Because before 1845, Nineveh had yet to be discovered. There was no archaeological, uh, geographical evidence that this city existed. And it was largely believed by many to be like a mythical place, uh, to be a place that was, you know, kind of like the, the, the fountain of youth or the lost city of Atlantis. Like Nineveh is just kind of this, this allegory for, for some kind of deeper story. But excavations in the late mid-1800s on the outskirts of what we all know as Mosul, Iraq, um, uncovered the largest city that existed 700 years before the life of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is a, is a biblical theological person, but Jesus is also a historical person. Like, no one argues that. No, no atheist, no anyone argues that Jesus was a person who existed in history. And so what this archaeology found was that 700 years before this Jesus from Nazareth's life, there was the largest city that existed in this area was a city called Nineveh, was a city called Nineveh. And it was here in this city in, 18, in the 1800s where, where um, artifacts, over 25, a library of over 25,000, man, something just like flew in my mouth. <laughs> um, 
a library of over 25,000 artifacts were uncovered. You can go read about this and, and see it, but, but this library of over 25,000 artifacts were uncovered from this area, from this city, that archaeologists, secular archaeologists, now consider as one of the greatest geographical discoveries for studying Assyrian and Babylonian history. Pretty cool, huh? History people, can I get an Amen. There we go. <laughs> so in 1846 and before, people likely read this story and they discounted it because if such a great city as Jonah 1 says, Jonah 1 verse 2, go to that great city. If such a great city existed, why do we have nothing from it? It must be a fable. Here's just like a kind of a, a plug for the reliability of Scripture, the Bible continues to show itself as reliable and trustworthy, family. It continues to show itself as something that we can trust and something that, that is held up through many different... So that's kind of like some history about it. Let's look theologically at some of the issues with, with Jonah real quick. So Nineveh is a real place. What about the fish? <laughs> Let's talk about the fish for a minute, right? Well, theologically we do acknowledge that if this is a literal story, which let me just, uh, let me just remind you, we, we believe it to be a literal story, that it is, it is a miraculous story, right? Would we agree? It's a miracle. It's a miracle that a guy would have been tossed overboard, swallowed by a sea creature, and kept alive for three days in the belly of a fish, only to be, as, uh, as, as the end of chapter one says, um, or actually the end of chapter two says, vomited onto the shores of safety. <laughs> That's an entertaining to, say, uh, entertaining to say best and hard to believe at worst, right? This dude spent three days in the belly of the fish and just so happened to be vomited in the right place, right where God wanted him. Kind of sounds like a made up story. These things don't happen like on a Wednesday around here. Like these things aren't normal. So it's a miraculous story. It's not like, yeah, Wednesday I was in the sea and got swallowed by a fish and got spit up. No, this is a, a miracle. But from a theological perspective, Christ followers are fundamentally a miracle-believing people, aren't we? We believe in miracles. We believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Amen? We believe in the incarnation, that God became a man, that, that a deity became someone with flesh on him. Jesus lived. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, he, he was buried, and he rose again Three days later, he ascended, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. If we believe that, we embrace the miraculous. We, we embrace that. And so to embrace Jonah as a historical, literal, and theological story is, is not something that's too hard to wrap our minds around. We believe in the miraculous. So beyond what, and I'll say this, and when I was studying for Jonah, it really kind of set us up for the next series that we're gonna preach through, which is the book of Matthew. We're gonna preach the book of Matthew because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus himself affirms the reality of Jonah as an event in history that happened. And so I can't wait to get through Matthew. We should get to Matthew chapter 12 sometime in 2025. So um, beyond what we have set up here, here's the deal, family. I've got one goal, okay? We're gonna go through two verses I promise beyond here, we'll go a lot faster. We've only got five weeks 
but, but we wanna set this up. And here's what I wanna do. I want to draw on and draw out the bigger picture that I talked about in Jonah that overarches this whole story. And so that's what I want us to do. And I've told several people um, over the weeks, and I was talking to, to Lindsay even a couple days ago working through this, um, that, that once I recognized and I understood for myself this bigger picture, it almost felt right to preach this book backwards, like to start at the end, at, chapter, at the end of chapter four, and, and work backwards. And so we're not gonna start at the end of chapter four and work backwards, but we are going to, to show how this book, book ends um, with this overarching picture. And here's what I want you to do. Listen up. This is not a story primarily written to us about a fish. This is not a story that is primarily written to us about a, a prophet. This is not primarily a story written to us about a city or a sea, but it is a story to show us something about God, for us to know who God is. Family, this is why I had just told you a minute ago, this is why we cannot afford to miss this. Your life and the life of our world depends on us understanding the key theme that Jonah is trying to tell. The story that he's trying to tell, and if I can summarize it in one point, is that, is that this is a story about a kind of God who is compassionate, who pursues us, and who is merciful. A God who literally, at every turn of this prophet in this book here, a God who at nearly every turn is offering and making a way of salvation. I mean, we're gonna see that over and over, whether it's the prophet, whether it's the, the sailors, or whether it's the Ninevites. At every turn, God is offering his mercy to those who will turn to him. Man, what an important thing for us to understand. One way that we can provocatively understand God maybe in, in, in more of like a, a modern way as far as at least terminology speaking. This isn't a new idea. But one way that we can understand God is that God is a, a missionary God. God is a, a, you think about missionaries and you think of, of missionaries throughout history and, and all those things, but guess what? God is the ultimate missionary. He is the first missionary. He is, he is the one who created man and woman. And what, what was the command that he gave them? Be fruitful and multiply. Why? So that my name would be made known throughout all of the earth. The covenant with Abraham was all about the glory of God being made known among the earth. Hey, the Great Commission is not the first time that we see the command to go into all nations. We see the command to go into all nations from the very beginning, and we see it in this book. We see that it is a God who has a heart for the lost, a God who has a heart for the nations. And so we see this heart both in the opening words, like we said, we're gonna bookend it, in the opening words of this book and in what we think is a, a cliffhanger of a conclusion. And so look at the way that it opens. Let's start there. It says this in verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So this seems like, and is, if you go throughout the other prophets, is the typical way that a minor prophet in the Bible opens, that the word of the Lord came to fill in, fill in the blank. Yeah, Jonah in this case. We're introduced to Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25, which I know sometimes it's hard to kind of work your way through um, those accounts, but 2 Kings 14.25, we see Jonah introduced, and there he is referred to as a servant of God, that Jonah is a servant of God. Now, there's all sorts of implications and applications for us 
in understanding Jonah as a prophet and as a servant of God and seeing the way that he rebels and disobeys God in this book. There's significance in that. There's, Jonah is writing this story for us to grab attention where it needs to grab our attention. He is a prophet, yet he is, in this, in this account, disobedient. We'll get to that next week. Next week is where we'll talk about the disobedience of Jonah. But it's something to keep in mind. For now, and in light of understanding the heart of God, remember that's what we're trying to do, is just show God's heart in all of this. It is important for us to see the initiative that God has taken to get his word to his people. So he wants his glory to be known. He wants us to trust in his name, and he has chosen prophets to do this. So one way that the scriptures describe a prophet in 1 Samuel 9 is as a seer, a seer, S-E-E-R, one who sees, one who who understands um, and has insight into the purposes and the character of God. And so so Jonah is part of a group of prophets in Israel um, that has been tasked with an incredibly important job. And what's that? To make God's name known to his people to declare the word of the Lord, to say, this is what the Lord says. Why? Because this is how you ought to know him. And so Jonah had this remarkable, divinely commissioned calling to bring people into contact with the living God by declaring something. And so as a prophet, what we assume, what we assume from the outset of this book, that as a prophet, he would have been effective at this. This isn't Jonah's first rodeo. This isn't the first time, Nineveh is not his first assignment. We see in 1 Kings 14 that Jonah is known um, as a, a person who declares the word of the Lord. This is, the, the, the fact that the word of the Lord came to Jonah means that the Lord has entrusted him and Jonah is appointed as a person to declare his name. Let's look at verse two. Arise, go to Nineveh. This is God speaking that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So when we see Nineveh here, this is not describing a very friendly place for the message of God to be delivered, right? We're gonna talk a little bit about what Nineveh was. And in a way, we should understand and not be overly shocked by Jonah's response to God. It, like, if, if Jonah is, is operating outside of um, kind of the, the, the bounds of what a prophet would do in obedience to God and let his flesh take over, it's actually not very shocking to see the way that Jonah responds because of what was true about Nineveh. There's two reasons for that. Up to this point, one of the reasons why this might've been kind of challenging for Jonah is because up to this point, Jonah, prophets were called only to God's people. Now, there's a few like through Amos and Obadiah where, where they are uttering prophecies and, and all those things and they, they may reference the Gentiles, but the, the prophecy is geared towards the people of God. And so this is shocking fundamentally because God is telling Jonah, go tell a people about me that is not my people. And that's his complete audience, the Ninevites. So this was an Israelite being called exclusively to a Gentile people. So the second thing that makes this kind of shocking is that not only were the Ninevites a Gentile people, they were known around this world as a ferociously terroristic and violent people. They were terrorists. I mean, they, that's what they were. Like, they weren't just mean. 
They were, they were people who terrorized other nations. They, they turned murder and torture into a hobby. They turned murder and torture into to a game. They would dismember their victims and then have parades through the street with dismembered parts of their victims. They were terroristic people. And so we all have an idea. When we, we, that's kind of the frame of mind we have to get ourselves in for this book. We all have an idea in our own minds about what kind of cultures exist like that today, and we all have certain feelings and ideas about what it is that those kind of cultures deserve, don't we? Yeah. I would just like, man, Lord, would you just wipe them out? In fact, I would say that there is a biblical, there is biblical support for justice. There is biblical support um, for to, to, to see these kinds of cultures and understand that God's wrath will not be withheld towards people who do not turn to him. And on the last day, towards, specifically towards these kinds of injustices. In fact, just skip a few books over to Nahum and you'll see what the fate of Nineveh is. The whole book of Nahum is a prophet declaring God's wrath on the people of Nineveh. Don't you think Jonah would have much rather had that job? Jonah would have much rather said, hey, I would love to go tell them what their fate is. I'd love to go tell them how wicked and evil they are. But no, God here is telling Jonah, go and tell them something important. God is viewing this nation. We have to understand this. God is viewing this nation as a potential object of his mercy. God is telling Jonah to go because there is an opportunity for these people in Nineveh, to be recipients of the mercy of God. It was shocking for Jonah, and it's okay for us to be shocked by it also. And so this picture of the offer of mercy, I want you to, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. If you're in one of those black books, it's black Bibles, it's 615. We've referenced this a few times just over the summer because it's, it's something that I recently saw and understood Many of you probably already knew this, but it's just something that has, has been really intriguing and mind-blowing to me. Isaiah 55, six through nine says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Okay, this is where most of you are gonna jump on and say, oh, I know that. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Did you see kind of the context of that? So, so we have used that verse, and it's, true, it's not untrue um, the way that we have used it. We have used that verse to support like the, just the overall glory and the majesty of God. You know, I'm just, like I'm, I'm seated above you. Um, I'm more glorious than you. But do you see the context that he's speaking of his, of, of, of his ways he is speaking in the context of his ways, in the context of, of mercy. And, and I think it could be applied directly to this story of Jonah, because Jonah is saying, I'm not going there. These people will kill me. They have killed my neighbors. They have killed, name it, 
They've, they've killed all of these people. They don't deserve mercy. And God comes in, at least in Isaiah, and says, hey, listen, I will show mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And though you may not understand why this person could possibly understand the mercy of God or why this person could, could, could possibly deserve the mercy of God, just know that my mind and my ways and my mercy and my forgiveness and my compassion is much higher than the capacity that you have to show mercy and compassion. There has never been anyone who is merciful and as compassionate as God. We do not get a a, a picture, a, a different picture of an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. He is, all, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even in the Old Testament, he is saying, if you will simply humble yourselves and repent and cry out to me, I will put mercy on you. Does he have wrath? Yes. Look at Nineveh. It shows here in Jonah that, that there does seem to be some repentance, but overall, they're completely wiped out by the time we get to Nahum. Ultimately, this is where we see two things. This, this, this passage on the, the mercy of God, we see, we see two things here that apply to, to us and how we see this book today. The compassionate heart of God towards Nineveh and the compassionate heart of God towards us. The compassionate heart of God towards Nineveh is seen here and then go to look at Jonah 4.11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. God's saying like, these people are so messed up that even their livestock are messed up. Like nobody can see, they're all on the same level. They're all on the same plane. Like, in fact, He's probably saying many times the cattle know better than the people. They're also, this is why the larger story is so significant to our understanding of what God is after here. So we can't get into all of this, what is meant in the final chapter yet, but in summary, God is full of mercy and compassion towards those who will repent and turn to him. He welcomes with open arms any and all who will turn to him. And then we must see, if, remember, this is why our life and, our, and, the, and the life of the world depend on this. Because he is not only compassionate to Nineveh, we see the compassionate heart of God towards us. We see the compassionate heart of God towards us. It's easy to try to identify ourselves with a particular character in this story, right? Like sometimes I feel like I'm Jonah. Sometimes I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, the sailor. Sometimes I'm the Ninevite. Growing up, I thought I was supposed to be like Jonah. I didn't want to get swallowed by a fish, but I thought, you know, Lord, if you call me to do it, I'll do it. I'll jump in, right? None of us would, would consider ourselves terroristic or violent like the Ninevites, but that's merely a result of what seems to be more true about their heart being far from God. The point is this, that no matter who I identify with in this story, I am always in need of the mercy of Christ that we are always in need of the mercy of Christ. And God is trying to teach us something about his mercy in this. And I can't wait for us to see it. Look at, look at Luke 23, 34. Compare what Jesus says on the cross to what 
the end of the book of Jonah says, when God asked him that question, he said, should I not have pity? These people don't know what they're doing. They don't know their right hand from their left. Look at the words of Jesus in Luke 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's, that's us. That's you and me. And of course, Jesus is speaking of, of a particular crowd in that moment, but hey, listen, that who put Jesus on the cross? Did the, did the soldiers put him on the cross? Did, did the Jews put him on the cross? No, you did. I did. My sin put Jesus on the cross. And the mercy of God that we, are, that we are shown on the cross is the mercy not for your sin in general. It's not for just, in general, the sins of the world, which we know that it was for the sins of the world. But guess what? You are the world in that context. We are that Jesus died for us and he did it out of a heart of what we see developed in the, in, the, in the context of Jonah, that God is a God of compassion and mercy. And so what this opening tells us and what this bookend tells us and reminds us that we have to understand today is that God is seeking for himself a people who will worship him. Guys, we are like, I am. When I say we, I mean, when I say we, I mean I and us. Maybe some of you wouldn't necessarily identify yourself in this place. Man, we are, we are just so lethargic to the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Like if the mercy and the grace of Jesus isn't transforming the way that you think of someone else in your, in your life and in your world, you have not comprehended mercy and grace. We are just like so easily distracted. We are so easily displeased with whatever. And the mercy of God shows us that God is seeking for himself a people who will worship him, a people who will turn to him, who will repent. And guess what? Like we talked about this past summer on repentance. If you repent, you will be met with mercy. The message of repentance in the scriptures is never one of destruction. It's just not. The, the, the message of repentance is if you don't repent, you will be destroyed. But the message of repentance in the scriptures is that if you repent, guess what? You will be met with restoration. Find me a place in the scriptures that lines up with the cultural message that, that God is some sort of God that just wants to rob us of all of our joy. Find me that passage of scripture. Find me that God in this book. You won't find it. Because the God in this book says, if you will turn to me, I will restore you to where, you, where, where, where in my presence there is fullness of joy. You can't find that kind of God in this book that does not offer hope in the midst of repentance. And you cannot find in this world anything that will offer you what he offers you. You won't find it. Let's pray. Father, 
we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand this mercy. God, that you would show us what it is that that you want for us to know about you, Lord, would you like, we are, we are so distracted and we are so easily pleased and, and Lord, would you just give us a desire to know you, give us a desire to turn to you? Would you, by your spirit in our lives, Lord, just give us a sense And give us a, a way for us to, we, we do have a way to know, and that's through your son Jesus, but, but, but an awareness each and every day that, that, Lord, you are waiting for us to turn to you and that you are full of mercy and compassion. And Lord, if there's someone in here today who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would know that when they turn to you, that they will be met with this kind of mercy, no matter what they've done. Whether their rebellion is religious rebellion, whether their rebellion is fleshly rebellion, whether, whether, whether they're the prodigal son or the older brother, the Lord, they would, they would turn to you knowing that it, it's only you who gives them the the fulfillment that we need. And Lord, help us in here who are your children to just recommit our lives to you. Lord, humble us. We need this humility. We need to, to, to be attentive to your spirit. Lord, if your spirit is speaking to us today, would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us to know, to trust, and to love you? Thank you, Lord, that we are able to come now to the table to be reminded that when we turn to you empty-handed, when we come to you with, with empty hands, we, we come and we are satisfied. We are filled with what you give us. And so, Lord, as we share this together, may we just be reminded of that. May we respond in worship. And may we, may we know and be reminded that we've been met by the mercy of God. We love you and we pray these things and we worship you now. Amen.